Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to get to speak to you today. Wanted to add on to one of our announcements uh, that you saw in the video, the New Shoes Sister event um, that Jennifer Dean Hill is putting on is uh, free. She's made it free to any of the women here at the Vine who want to go to that. So when you register, don't pay online. Just go and you can just tell them that you're with the Vine. And uh, she just wanted me to mention that it's she's going to be speaking on Thailand, but also on other things. Um, it's about inspiration and empowerment. Um, it's going to be a really, really cool event. So if you're a woman and want to come to that, we'd love to have you join us there. So for, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been going through the book of Acts, and I get the, the pleasure today to talk about Acts 9. And Acts 9 is, is just one of those pivotal passages. It's the, the conversion of Saul, who's later known as Paul, and it's a great, great story. So I'm excited to, to dive into that. Let's read the text and pray, and then, and then we'll get, get to talking about it. So in Acts 9, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to pull that out. If you're more of a hands-free sort of person, we have it up here. And if you're you're really techie, you can get out your phone. And um, on YouVersion, on the Bible app called YouVersion, under if you click on events, you can actually find the vine and you'll see all of our our slides on there. So here we go. Uh, Saul's conversion, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Let's pray over the text. Dear God, we just thank you for this time to come before you, Lord, to worship you and to be still and to, to reflect on your word and to be nourished by it. And Lord, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our, and our ears so that we could hear the message that you have for us in this text today. Amen. So have you ever worked really hard at something? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard and do really well at this. Um, I did that a few years ago, about nine years ago, when I started teaching third grade. And I was all on fire, and I was going to be the best teacher there was. And I went to work at Ruth Livingston Elementary, and I was there at the crack of dawn, and I was there until dusk. And I had... I just had everything figured out. I had all my lesson plans super detailed. I created all these worksheets and super cute little graphics. I had my bulletin boards. Um, I would think about what I was going to teach the kiddos, and I would stand in front of the mirror. I actually did this, okay? I would stand in front of the mirror and practice how I was going to introduce this concept to just revolutionize their learning. And I worked so hard. And a few months into that first year of teaching, and those of you who are teachers know how hard that first year of teaching is, a few months into this year of teaching, I realized I'm getting a little frustrated with my kids. I mean, these eight and nine-year-olds, they're just not appreciating the work that I'm putting into this and how I've practiced saying this so eloquently. Um, and I remember standing in the middle of my classroom after the kids had gone, just looking around, a little frustrated, and realizing uh, for the first time that I was using all of my mental energy and all of that space in my head to think about me, to think about what I was doing, to think about what I could do better, and that I had no mental space left to think about my students and where are they at and what do they need and what do I need to do for this specific student and how are they responding and how should I tweak my teaching to, to, for them to hear me. My, I was focused totally on me. And that wasn't such a bad thing. As teachers, we have to prepare. But when all of our energy or the, the primary um, amount of our energy goes to the wrong thing, then it just it doesn't work. And uh, the text today is about a man named Saul. He's later called Paul. So if I use Paul, I'm, it's, I'm talking about the same guy. Um, and I feel like that really relates to Saul. So Saul was a very devoted man. He was just on fire, and he worked really, really hard. A few things we know about Saul. He's from the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was a cultural and intellectual hub. They were known for their, for their great schools. They were known for their commerce. It was said to have rivaled Alexandria and Athens. I mean, it was a big city. And we know that Saul was a Roman citizen, and we know that Saul studied under a man named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a very famous Pharisee. He was one of the top religious guys. And not, he, didn't, he didn't teach just anybody. So to, to get to study under him was, was a big deal. And so we, from those two things, the fact that he studied under Gamaliel and the fact that he was a Roman citizen, we, we can assume that Paul probably came from a very affluent, wealthy family. And his aspiration was to become a Pharisee. 
And a Pharisee was, was a community of religious leaders, and it was a very exclusive community. In fact, uh, the word Pharisee in Aramaic means separated ones. So, so their whole goal was to separate themselves from all the common people, all the rest, and they were going to do things the right way. And so they had this, this strict adherence to the Old Testament laws and then a whole slew of other laws and traditions that rabbis had added to the Old Testament to make sure they, they were on the right road. And these Pharisees were often um, respected and had places of honor. Well, Saul, um, who's later called Paul, wrote the book of Philippians. And in Philippians, as he's reflecting back on his life, he says, I was a, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, I was the best of the best. His, his goal was to be that top Pharisee. One other thing that we know about Saul um, from Acts 8 is that he was there when they stoned Stephen. So um, Stephen was the first martyr for the Christian faith, and Saul was there when he um, when they when they killed Stephen, and it, the, the text says that he gave approval to his death. So he was he was part of that process. So let's dive into the text. Let's get my microphone going here. Let's dive into the text and, and see what what do, what else can we learn about this man named Saul. Verse 1, it talks about Saul, he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he's, he's participated in killing Stephen, and now he's still breathing out these murderous threats. And he goes to the high priest, and he asks for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So they, they found anyone who belonged to the way, and that's what at that time they called Christians, who were followers of Jesus, anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. So we see that, that Saul is a very zealous Pharisee, even for a Pharisee. He's like, I'm not just going to kill the ones that come up in Jerusalem. I'm going to go hunt them down and I'm going to find them and I'm going to arrest them and I'm going to make sure they, they switch from that, from that way. Um, we have a map here and on the map you'll see, um, tar- uh, let's see, Jerusalem is down here where the cross is and Damascus, you can see it's about halfway through up the map, that was a about a hundred and thirty mile journey, and there's no cars back then, so you walked it. Um, so this was quite a commitment for him. Um, you can see how much out of his way he's going. And so I want to ask the question today: What would it take for a man like Saul to change? What would it take for a man like Saul to change? Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed around him, and he falls to the ground. And he hears this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, who are you? He calls him Lord because clearly whoever's speaking to him has, has authority and has power that he doesn't. So he says, who are you, Lord? And he replies, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So for Saul, on his way to Damascus, he has this supernatural encounter. The big light and booming voice, so like what you would think of as a supernatural encounter, that's what happens um, 
to Paul. And, and imagine this man with great power, has an entourage of people going with him, great wealth, great respect, and all of a sudden he's on his face in the middle of the road and something supernatural is happening. I find intriguing that Jesus says um, to him, why are you persecuting me? And then when he asks, who are you? Jesus says, I, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I, I find that really interesting. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable, and in that parable he says, you know, whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you're doing to me. And whatever you don't do for them, you're not doing for me. And I think that just um, reiterates for us that how we treat people matters deeply to God. And, and that's a reflection on how we're treating God. And so that's what, that's what Jesus confronts Saul with and says, why are you persecuting me? And then he gives him one step and only the next step, one step, he says, get up and go. Go to the city. And then I'll tell you what to do after that. So verse 7, let's continue. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. And so they had to lead them by the hand to Damascus. And for three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So this very powerful man, not only is he knocked to the ground, but then when he gets up, he, he's groping around in darkness. And they have to hold his hand and walk him to Damascus. Talk about God just slapping him upside the head or something. It's like, hey, I'm talking to you, getting his attention. This is definitely one of those um, supernatural encounters where, where Jesus gets his attention. And uh, he's blind for three days. Imagine what that would be as, as someone who, who can see all of a sudden for that to be taken away and for the darkness, like you're just in, engulfed in darkness. And all he could do was, was stop. Like he was forced to stop and think and to reflect um, and to pray. Have you ever been um, super adamant about something, like a belief or something you thought you knew, and say, no, this is how it is, and then all of a sudden later you realize, oh, I think I was wrong on that. Oh, I really said that strongly, and I, nope, I was definitely wrong on that. That feeling, so that's like this, that feeling times a thousand for Saul. I think the darkness he was seeing probably matched that sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach as he's beginning to realize, wow, I think... I think I've been, I think I've had it wrong. I think all this time I've been working so hard and I think I've missed it. So we ask the question, how does someone like Saul change? In this story, for Saul, there's an encounter with God. And for Saul, is a very miraculous, supernatural, very flashy encounter. And some of us have those with God. I think um, most of us, for most of us, those encounters with God are a lot quieter. Um, maybe, maybe a little whisper, a little nudge, or a feeling, or, or a person that comes into our lives and points us to God. 
And then the second thing for Saul in this story is he, he was given, forced, but he was given um, time to really wrestle with the truth, to be still and have some deep, honest reflection. And it says during that time, Saul was praying. And I think when we, we are willing to be still and willing to, to reflect honestly and wrestle with who we are and what's going on, wrestle with that truth, and pray that this is a posture in which we can invite the Holy Spirit to work in us, and God can reveal himself to us. So in the darkness, Saul prays, and God sends Ananias. So let's read about Ananias. Uh, Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple, so a follower of Jesus, named Ananias, and the Lord called to him, Ananias, yes, Lord, Go to the house of Judas and ask for a man named Saul, for he's praying. He's seen a vision of you, putting your hands on him and restoring his sight. And I love Ananias' response. He said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest uh, to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is saying, essentially saying, hey, time out for a minute. God, do you know who you're talking about here? Because I know, I've heard about him. Are you sure you're, we're talking about the same guy? Um, and I can imagine here the reports. I, I would think that the Christians in Jerusalem with all the persecution that happened there and having found out what Saul's up to, I'm sure they sent messengers out. Hey, you know, go undercover. He's coming. Hide. All this stuff. Get ready. And they're preparing for that. And then all of a sudden God says, hey, by the way, I, I'd like you to go talk to this man and tell him to follow Jesus. Um, he also says... He, in verse 15, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. So remember, a Pharisee is a separated one, is what Pharisee means. So they were trying to separate themselves from the Jews because they didn't want to be like the common people, but they wanted to separate themselves especially from the Gentiles because the Gentiles, I mean, they were really the out the outsiders in from a Pharisee's perspective. You see, from, from the beginning of Israel's history, God had set apart Israel. God had said, you're going to be my nation and I'm going to work through you so that you can be a light to the other nations. So the per- God's purpose for setting them apart was so that they could share what God is doing for them to the other nations. But the Pharisees had kind of twisted that and developed this attitude of superiority. And, and there was a lot of deep-seated prejudices against anyone who, who was a Gentile, who was different from them. And so God, in his infinite sense of humor, uh, picks the top Pharisee and says, you You've dedicated your life to being separated from all these people. You're going to be my instrument, um, and I will use you to proclaim my, uh, my name to the Gentiles and to their kings. Uh, last week, Micah spoke about unlikely people in unlikely places. This is definitely an example of that. Um, Saul was not the candidate most people would have chosen. One other thing before we continue, in verse 16, there's an interesting phrase there. I want to touch on it. It says, I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. And at first glance, this almost seems a little bit punitive. 
God's almost saying, it sounds like God's saying, well, you've done all these bad things to my people, so I'm going to really make sure you suffer. And in reading that in the context of this story, that doesn't make sense to me because this is a story of redemption. This is a story of a man who's far from God and God draws him in close and says, hey, I'm going to give you a new life, a new purpose, a new mission. I'm going to make you a new man. So it doesn't seem, in my mind, like God is being punitive towards Saul right now. But if you read the rest of the book of Acts, Saul indeed does suffer more than than most Christians probably have. He suffers greatly, and in the end, uh, he loses his life um, because of persecution. So, so why all the suffering? And I don't, I don't have the ultimate answer, but I want to throw this out. Saul lived in a cultural climate that was not accepting of Jesus. The the culture, the religion, the attitude of the people was not accepting of Jesus. And so to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower during that time and place required suffering. It, it meant you were going to be persecuted. And I think there's something in there for us. I think there's some parallels, definitely not this extreme, but there's some parallels um, that in our lives that, that are worth reflecting on there. Sometimes following Jesus costs us. And sometimes it costs a lot, and it's still worth it. So, so that's a, just an interesting little side point for me. So let's continue on the story. Uh, verse 17, and Ananias goes. He, he does it. After, after his little conversation with God, he goes to the house. He enters. He places his hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, um, has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias went. Simple as that. Like, he, he followed God's direction. So he wasn't sure about what God wanted him to do. He argued with him a little bit. And then I wonder how he said goodbye to his family before he left. I wonder, and it, it doesn't tell us those details, but I wonder how he felt when he left his, his wife and kids and says, I'm, I'm going to go on this mission God told me to do. And, and, and it took a great amount of courage and trust. And, and though this isn't the, mes- the, the primary message of, of this story, I think for some of us, um, Ananias's faith may be what we need to hear most today, or maybe what we need to reflect most on today. Is God calling us on a specific mission that seems impossible? Maybe to a specific place, maybe to a specific person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend who really the likelihood of them listening to you or finding God seems seems remote. But if God is calling, say it's okay to voice our concerns with God, and it's okay to voice our doubts with God, and to seek his guidance, but ultimately we're called to find the courage and to find that trust in God that enables us to go and to speak and, and to, to just open up our mouths even when we don't know what to say. So Ananias goes, 
And he prayed, and the scales fell from Saul's eyes. No idea what the scales were. Little, little strange to me. Like I can't hardly picture what that would look like, scales coming out of someone's eyes. Um, but there is a beautiful illustration in there, an illustration of freedom. Because see, as a, as a Pharisee, Saul carried a lot of burdens. One of the burdens he carried um, was a heavy one. But the Pharisees um, were very concerned with needing, needing to be good enough for God, needing to earn God's approval, needing to be right. And um, that's a heavy burden. Because ultimately, I think, if people, if we're reflective enough, we know that we, we, can't, we can't be perfect. There's just no way. And so that's a really heavy burden. And, and that blinded Saul to some of God's greatest commands, uh, love God and love people. That blinded him to that. And so when Ananias prays and the scales fall out of his eyes, I like to think of it as uh, this burden falling away from him. Maybe this burden of trying to earn his salvation or this burden of, of the anger and the disgust for people that are, are different than him because that can be a heavy burden or the burden of maintaining a religious system that he was a part of and, and what was blinding him being taken away. Later on in Paul's life, or Saul's life, same guy, <laughs> um, he, he preaches in Acts 22 to a crowd, and he, um, he tells a little bit more. He gives a little bit more details about what Ananias said to him. So I want to go there in Acts 22. Then he, Ananias, said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, and call on his name. Love that question. What are you waiting for? Get up, go do it. Um, And so I love how Ananias just flat out tells Saul, God has chosen you. God has chosen you, and he has a mission for you, has a plan for you, has a purpose for you. He has a new way of life for you. Be baptized and wash those sins away, lifting of that burden, trying to earn his own way, his own salvation. And Saul here does a complete 180, and it's a story of transformation. And we'll continue to talk about Saul um, next week and what that transformation looks like. But the, the, the primary message that I want to bring out of this story is this. It's a beautiful message. Jesus is all about transformation. Jesus is all about transformation. And because of that, that gives us great hope. So two ways that, that gives us great hope. One, in the story of Saul, we, we see that you can't be too far away from God. Like you can't, you can't be, you can't have gone off the deep end <laughs> too much for God. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I really am on the inside. And, and Saul speaks, uh, speaks to this in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 15 to 16. He says this. This is, this is Saul later, Paul later writing about his conversion. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I'm an example that God can change anyone. I'm the worst of sinners. I have killed Christians. I've persecuted Christians. I've dedicated my life to the wrong thing. And God, in his immense patience, has loved me and shown me mercy. That gives us great hope for, for maybe some of the people that we know. Maybe it hits a little closer to home. Maybe for us, those of us who think, I'm not sure, I'm really... I'm really God material. (laughs) Saul says that we are. The second thing, the second reason why, why we have so much hope in Jesus being all about transformation is that transformation happens throughout our life. It's not uh, once saved, once you're baptized, once you decide to be a follower of Jesus, you're done. It's a continual thing. And um, God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We've talked about the fruits of the Spirit a lot this year. Going to talk about it one more time because there's such beautiful things in there. God working in us and continuing to transform us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we submit ourselves to God, His Spirit starts to change us. And that's the journey we get to go on for the rest of our lives. So, Our invitation today is this. We've seen how Jesus is all about transformation. Our invitation is to surrender to God's transforming power. To surrender to Jesus and allow the transformation to happen. So if you're you're not a Jesus follower, the next step, step may be for you to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It may be to just say, hey, Jesus will be my Lord and I will follow him. It may be to be baptized as a declaration, as a ceremony to show people that, yes, I believe in Jesus and I'm committing my life to following him. And and this idea of surrendering ourselves can at first seem a little strange language and maybe um make us cringe a little bit and see if God were a mean tyrant God surrender would be a really bad thing (laughs) and it would not be okay Um, here's what what Saul wrote in first Timothy chapter 1 verse 14 he said the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus so when we surrender we don't have a mean God who, you know, tries to beat us, but we have a God that is love and a God that pours out his grace, his, the unmerited favor on us. It's a beautiful thing. If, you, if that's something you want to talk more about, please come talk to us after service today. And then if you are a Jesus follower, the invitation um, is still the same. 
Surrender to the transforming power of God. Because as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, the Holy Spirit transforms us daily. And the interesting thing about that is not a once you do, once you do it once, it's over. It's a daily ask. God, I surrender. Please transform me. I surrender. Please, please show me how to live better. And maybe, um, today, there's, there's something heavy on your, on your, on your heart or on your mind. Maybe there's a part of your life, um, that really needs to be surrendered to God. Maybe, maybe it's anxiety about something or, or fear over something. Or maybe, maybe it's something, um, like a depression or something you're just really struggling through. Maybe it's a sense of unworthiness or a sense of that I'm not good enough. Um, maybe it's an addiction, something that you're not proud of. Once we become a follower of Jesus, there is still a lot of surrendering that needs to happen on a daily basis. And so our invitation today is to surrender to God and allow him to heal us and to transform us of those things. Now that's a little bit counterintuitive. Um, I'll tell you one quick little story. When my girls were little, we had this whole drawer of, of band-aids. And not just any band-aids. We had Dora band-aids. We had Jake the Neverland Pirate band-aids. We had My Little Pony band-aids. We had all these cute little band-aids. Why did we have so many band-aids? Because as soon as they hurt themselves, you know, it hurt and they cried. And then they'd look at it and then they'd cry more. And so they had to go get a band-aid and put the band-aid on the hurt. And then at least it still hurt, but it didn't, at least it didn't look so bad. It looked pretty. And we laugh about that, but don't we do that as adults? We have our hurts, we all do, and our pain and our struggles, and we want to put something pretty over it. We want to appear to have it together. We want um, to just kind of hide it away. And at times it's a little bit painful, but God comes around and he just rips off that band-aid and he says, I want to expose that. I want to deal with that and I want to heal those hurts and I want to transform you because I have a better plan for you. I have a purpose. I have a new way of life. I have a new mission for you. I want, I want, I choose you and I want to transform you. So as we go out, let's remember that we serve a loving and a gracious God. And surrendering to him is a privilege. It may not always be easy, but it's, it's a privilege. And we're invited to continually surrender to him and his transforming love. So let's invite the Holy Spirit this week, wherever you're at in your journey, to work in you. And on a daily basis, say, God, today is yours. I'm yours. Transform me. Transform me and make me more like you. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your scripture. Lord, and to read about Saul, this man who was so far from you. And to know that you can draw anyone close to you. And Lord, that your transforming power can transform any of us to be more like you. Lord, thank you for loving us regardless of what we've done. Thank you for forgiving us no matter what we've done. 
Lord, thank you so much for Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection that gives us hope. And as we leave this place, Lord, we invite you to dwell in us through your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we invite you to work in us, and we invite you to work through us. In Jesus' name, amen.